0: New Orleans Pelicans
1: knotted up two a piece with the Phoenix Suns after last night's 118-103 victory. Brandon Ingram, B.I. played to his potential once again. And look, if he's going to play like that, they're not going to lose a game. When B.I. plays like he's the best player on the court, and that includes a court that features DeAndre Aiden. Chris Paul, and others, Pelicans aren't going to lose. Pelicans aren't going to lose. And they bounce back after losing game three on Friday night at home. Win last night. Series is now knotted up two apiece. Game five, Tuesday. And game six. There will be a game six no matter what. Thursday night inside the Smoothie King Center. The same night as the NFL draft. As if there wasn't enough going on this coming, <laughs> this later this week and this weekend. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm the big, bald, and beautiful one, Raymond Parts Third, better known as RP3. Of course, I'm joined here in the game studios by the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah. Five names. Briefly, briefly. <laughs> You got to see your first Major League Baseball game over the weekend in person. Of course, you somehow made the Astros lose. Astro fans, blame her. That's fine. On Saturday. So, let's just talk about the game experience for you. How was the game experience? Not all the other shenanigans that took place either before or after said game. <laughs>
2: Uh, well, the game experience itself, I think, wasn't very enjoyable. Kind of thought that I got bored because of like, my phone to find us somewhere to get, go eat for dinner afterwards, which was just Outback anyway. Um, but I got to really see him in full-on um, competitive mode because we were about four feet from a foul ball coming our way. And the souvenir cup we had was now on the seats in front of us because the man hopped over me. To catch the foul ball, which the little old man next to us at the very end of the road got instead. So he was very upset with himself for a minute. He was like, I'm just going to accept that I'm not going to get a foul ball. I was like, You get on this side, though, because that side's closer to get the ball. Because I'm terrified my feet are going to hurt because you're going to squish them. But. Um, so you get
1: to see a new side of your fiance. Yeah. He's, he's, he's a. a How did you not know that he was competitive? I met I do that the very first, the second time I met him, not at the movies, but the second time when we went bowling together, couples bowling. I knew then I was like, this cat's way competitive.
2: I know he was, but I didn't expect for the full-on run, and like pole vault he did over me to get to the foul ball. I didn't expect that part.
3: So I then explained Uh. to him, I said,
2: "You just how you know." No matter what, if you do catch a foul ball, I will be taking it to work the very first day to say that I have a foul ball. I'll give it back after, but the first day I bring it to work.
1: So you had an enjoyable experience, though, with the exception of Kenneth mowing you down to get a foul ball.
2: Yes. I actually caught on video because we actually did a full stadium, like the whole entire stadium did the wave, and I was trying to catch that, and in the middle of that you see – the bat, I think it was Alvarez, maybe, I think. I can't be 100% on, on that answer, but he actually hit his bat and it broke. So I caught the bat nice. breaking and like flying across the field, as well as the you know whole stadium wave and Jeez. the train. Kenneth's like, you were too excited about this train movement. So all it's going to do is go back and forth. I said, I understand, but it's a train, and it's moving.
1: You're very excited about I the, train, the train inside <laughs> Minute Maid Park. Nice. Nice. As you should. As yeah. you should. It was your first time. Right. It was your first time. Now, if if it's your 10th time and you're still getting giddy like a child about the train <laughs> going back and forth, that's a little bit different. But the first time will allow it. Right. Uh, speaking of trains, somehow your weekend included climbing over one. Would you Would you care, care to explain that?
2: Uh, I mean, I'm trying not to. I think it's illegal, but it's fine. <laughs> um, yeah. It's one of those, like, the big, huge, the the black... Train cars that like probably have like oil or something in them. I'm not kind sure what's inside of those trains. Yeah, I don't know they are. But they, it was forever long. They're usually, they're
1: usually fuel cars. Yeah.
2: Yeah, they're forever along and we're like, oh, it's great, you know. We have the train. Well, we'll just take a seat, and we'll sat in this like this little small brick wall. So, so, so the there. train
1: was downtown after the game.
2: Yeah, it was downtown after the game. We're just sitting there watching it, and I'm like, okay, it's cool. And then it like started to slow down, and you could see like everybody else finally caught up to us. Because we were somehow, we got out that that park very quickly, and five people coming up to us, like the scene, you know. Oh, there's a train, so we're all sitting there, and then we watch this one lady, probably mid 30s. She says she goes, she goes to like start, like to walk up to the train, does it again, and she finally climbs over the train. She was like, "All right, trendsetter." So the train didn't move, so everyone's had her running to the train, and we all just climbed over. <laughs> so the picture that are in my post of our black hands, is us climbing the train after. Yeah.
3: Couldn't
1: you know, get
2: around it, so.
1: You could have been smushed to death. You realize
2: that, right? Yeah, I know. That's why I made Ken right. go first. Right. So I was like, I was letting you know. If the and train sa- started moving, I was going to hop onto you so, and jump off so, the screen.
1: So, so not only, so how close were you to the stadium? Did you did you walk from your hotel to the stadium, or did you park and walk to the stadium?
2: We parked, actually. We were going to go. We had got there about two or so hours early. So we actually went to the Cinder Cidercade. Cindercade. It's a like a a boozy, like adult beverage type. Um,
1: yes, a bar. Yeah. There we go.
2: But it was an arcade. Like it has all these like vintage arcade games. So we parked right in front yes. of that. And then we saw all these people inside. I was like, yeah, I'm not here for this right now. I, no, this is too much people right now. So we just walked straight to the stadium and we had to walk all the way back. Uh,
1: two things. One, uh, you have to be very careful where you walk around Minute Maid Ballpark in, in Houston, period. That yes. should be mo- moving forward. Second of all, don't climb over trains.
2: <laughs> it wasn't the plan. We didn't think the trains okay. would stop. Okay. And just stopped. And I was like, okay, well, we have to get home somehow. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, I'm glad you had a great time. I'm glad that your fiancé nearly ran you over for a foul ball. And it's you survived climbing over a train afterwards. You and yes. I would assume a uh, probably a few dozen other diehard Houston Astros fans.
2: Uh, it's only about maybe exactly at a dozen people that climbed of the train, following one shortly about my my size. She climbs over first, and then it's her husband, and then everyone else is like, "Let's go." <laughs> Wasn't moving anytime soon. I was like, "Well, we don't know where around Houston, so uh, how are we going to get home?" <laughs> Producer or get to our car?
1: extraordinaire mm mm
2: it's,
1: it's, it's fine. Mm-mm-mm.
2: Besides the fact that we had to have two hotel rooms because, yeah. I'm sorry. We, we uh, there was, apparently someone thought that, you know what, the bright idea is 45 minutes into us getting into our hotel room, a car ran into the electrical pole in front of our hotel. So all of the power <laughs> shut off. So we had to then let Kenneth go up to the front and see what was going on. Well, I sat inside the hotel trying to find another hotel room to stay at because no AC and no electricity was not going to work for me for two days. So, yeah. <laughs> talk about, talk, let
1: me, let, let, let's do a brief recap, shall we? So, you get in a hotel room where the telephone, the power line outside the pole yes. gets run over by a driver. Mm-hmm. Knocks out power from the neighborhood. So you then you have to switch hotels yes. by finding another one yes. that actually has power. Yes. You go to the game and your fiance nearly flattens you for a foul ball. And thirdly, after the game, you and your fiance, because there hasn't been enough shenanigans involved, <laughs> decide to climb over a train.
2: Yes.
1: Does that that
2: Yeah. Of course, we to go, go to that's Alpha a, to
1: eat. That's a hell of a first Major League Baseball game experience.
2: Oh, yeah. I said, I think uh, <laughs> like, it would be an adventure if not all of this stuff would have happened to us. But it's okay. I, I tried a crepe for the first time. Still not 100% sure of the consistency and that texture in my mouth. I don't know if I like that or not. But the inside of the crepe was fantastic no matter what.
1: That, there we go. Yep. You got that going for you.
2: Yep. Tried crepes. Tried a velvet taco. Um, Went to Outback, of course, because it oh, wouldn't be course. an adventure trip uh, if you and I didn't go to Outback in a whole different state. Of,
1: of course. It's, not, it's it's not as if Houston has fine dining, great restaurants that you could have tried that you don't have here. That's fine. Yeah.
2: That's right. fine. <laughs> <laughs> I did have tried Velvet Taco and uh, Crepe something something.
1: Crepe something I think something. It like
2: crepes and waffles and <laughs> something else. Did you just say Crepe something something? Yeah. Okay. It's, it's fine. Now well, I have three glass You bottles. had
1: a tremendous weekend. I did. Also, the weekend ends tremendously for the New Orleans Pelicans. Did not start off that way. Friday, sold out Smoothie King Center. They lose. Even though our friend Louis Prejean was in attendance. And others, it did not matter. Phoenix came out as we expected. And they came out like a cornered wounded dog and played that way and they go up to one so it's a must-win scenario for the pelicans last night smoothie king center was rocking and brandon ingram took over yet again and i've said it before when he plays like he did last night when he plays like he's the best player on the court they're not gonna lose there's not Because you know what you're going to get out of C.J. McCollum. You know what you're going to get out of the other pieces. You're going to get some consistency. But when B.I. decides to take over a game, he's the best player on the court. And he was again last night. 16 of his 30 points came in the third quarter. That's really the swing of the game where they seize control there in the third. For the 118-103 victory. Once again, game five will be Tuesday night in Phoenix. Game six will be Thursday night inside the Smoothie King Center. And just look, it comes down to a lot of times stars. And it comes down to who has the most talent. Phoenix has a more talented team. You could argue. But Devin Booker is out. So that plays a role in this. And the Pelicans have really come together and rallied. But this series is going to be determined based on what happens with Brandon Ingram. If he goes out there and balls out and says, hey, I'm taking this game over, they're going to win every game. They're going to win every game. Now, he had some help last night. Valachunas, 26 points, 15 rebounds. Herb Jones, the rookie who should be on all defensive teams, but that's a discussion for another day. Smothered Chris Paul. And here's here's the all this is what we've seen so far throughout the first four games of this series. When Chris Paul is the best player on the court, the uh, the Suns win. When Bi is the best player on the court, the Pelicans win. And it's gone back and forth. It's gone back and forth. It hasn't been consistent from game to game. Paul scored 19 point, had 19 point fourth quarters in both of the Suns' two playoff wins. So when it came crunch time, Chris Paul took over in the two Phoenix wins. He was held to just four points in 35 minutes last night. He did have 11 assists, but also committed three turnovers. They frustrated him, took him out the game. B.I. stepped up. The two wins, Chris Paul was the best player on the court. The two losses for Phoenix, Brandon Ingram was the best player. It, it, It... I say it all the time. It comes down to talent, it comes down to stars. Which star is going to have which star is going to take over two of the next three games? That's what it boils down to now. This is this is the best of three now. It's tied up two apiece. Who's going to step up? Is it going to be Chris Paul or is it going to be BI? Because that's been the story of the series so far, has been those two guys. When they have taken over games, their team wins. Particularly taking over in the second half, in the third or the fourth quarter. Herb Jones was very aggressive last night playing defense on Chris Paul. And once again, Paul doesn't have Devin Booker to dish it out to if he's having an off night and give it to Devin, who is their best scorer. So if the Pelicans can continue frustrating Chris Paul, they can win this series. DeAndre Ayton had 23 points, eight rebounds for the Suns. A lot of that came in the first half, though. They also got 14 points from JaVel McGee. JaVale McGee! Series tied up. And here's the other thing about Phoenix. They're not getting anything from Bridges. Right? They're just not. They're not getting anything really from pain either. And the Pelicans last night? Yeah, you got 30 from B.I. 26 from Valachunas. 13 from Herb Jones, who's known for his defense. He still chimes in 13. C.J. McCollum gives you 18. He's roughly going to give you about 20 a game. Series tied, 2-2. That's our poll question of the day. How will the Suns-Pels playoff series turn out? Suns win in six, Pels win in six, Suns win in seven, Pels win in seven. We want to hear from you with our poll question of the day. Go vote. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. When we come back here on RP3 and company, oh, we're going to talk a little Houston Astros. Not a great weekend for the Stros. Maybe we can blame Hannah for that, or maybe we can just blame. They're just struggling here early on. We'll talk about that next right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. In Louisiana, there are thousands of miles of utility lines and gas pipelines buried just beneath the surface. Sometimes multiple lines are in one area. So, look, if you or a contractor that you've hired is digging a hole to put in a new fence, a pool, or for any other reason, you run the risk of hitting an underground line by digging only a few inches. What happens then? Maybe you only knock the power out for your entire neighborhood, but sometimes there's an explosion with injuries and even death. It happens every single year, and there's a very simple way to avoid it. Before you dig, call 811. Call 811 two days before you dig. Tell the operator your address, and someone's going to come out and mark the location of buried lines so you or your contractor can avoid them. It's simple, it's free of charge, and it's the law. Louisiana 811 operates 811 as a public service. And to promote public safety, Louisiana 811 and 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles remind you call 811 and know what's below before you dig. Don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day. How is the Pels-Suns series going to turn out? It's all tied now, two games apiece, which means we're going to at least get a game six out of this back in the Smoothie King Center on Thursday night. Are the Pels going to win this in six games? Are the Suns going to win this in six games? Maybe the Pels pull it out in seven games, or will the Suns pull it out in seven games? That's our poll question of the day, and we want to hear from you. Go vote right now. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter and let us know how you feel. Right now, 55% of you say Pells win in seven. And then 15% apiece for Suns win in six, Pells win in six, and Suns win in seven. Let, let's get to some comments here. JPK, the OD, says, with Chris Paul announcing his retirement on May 1st, Game 7 is on April 30th. Oh, wow. Wow. I love the saltiness already. Plus, he shared a GIF of Pelicans fighting on the beach. Ton on the Twitter says, Pels were supposed to get swept. All wins from game two are, are Lanyap. It's a fair point. Look, I said this. No matter how this opening round series turns out, the fact that they were able to overcome 1-12 and a 3-16 and start, rookie head coach, no Zion Williamson, and the fact that they won both play-in games just to get into the playoffs. Success. The fact that they've been able to take two games here and they're pushing the number one seed and your favorite to advance to the NBA Finals and possibly win the whole thing, that's just extra. Like Ton saying, that's just laying you out. This is Anything that happens from this point moving forward is bonus. Unexpected bonus for the Pelicans. Hart on Twitter says, Sure looked like a packed house with an electric environment considering New Orleans isn't a basketball city. Pills in seven. I got nothing but love for heart, but y'all got to stop with all that. Y'all. Y- y- First of all, y'all care way too much about what national folks say. National folks said it isn't a basketball city. Y'all have locked that on and now it's part of you. Y- who cares? Who cares with the guys that scream at each other and do troll jobs on new orleans because you know it's just not the pelicans they troll they troll the saints too, in the whole city so who cares second of all uh, first of all second of all the pills did not draw well this year the pills have not drawn well for a while they're drawing well now you know why because they made the playoffs They started drawing well towards the end of the season because it looked like they were going to be into the play-in tournament. Then they drew well in the play-in tournament. So people like winners. (laughs) They're winning, which is why they're drawing. They didn't win the last couple of years because they weren't, wait for it, winning. So whether or not it's a basketball city or not is a silly argument. It, It just is. It has nothing to do with whether a city is a basketball city or basketball town or however you want to phrase it, that is irrelevant. You know what people like? You know what people are willing to spend money on? Watching a team win games. Yes, the Pelicans are turning into winners. That's why they're drawing. That's why they have an electric crowd. It's got nothing to do whether the DNA of the city likes basketball or not. Every city in America loves basketball. Just do I've lived in multiple states. There's a love of basketball hoops everywhere. Everywhere. Midwest, South, West, East, Northwest, doesn't matter. As long as you win, you're going to draw. It's pretty simple. It's pretty simple. But keep voting on the poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Let's talk a little Houston Astros baseball. They are notoriously, Houston is, especially in the last five to eight years, they are notoriously slow starters. We've talked about it on the show. You look at their record during the five-year stretch where they've made an American League Championship Series every year and went to three World Series, they've always started off slow. Five and five, six and six, six and seven, seven and six type of starts to the season. This is what they do. They're always slow out of the gate, and that's over the course of two different managers in charge of them, A.J. Hinch and Dusty Baker. But this core lineup of guys, Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman, Yuli Gurriel, those guys, they, they're slow out of the gate. They just are. Losing two of three to the Toronto Blue Jays, not great. Toronto is pretty good. They have a lot of young talent. Vlad Guerrero's son is on the roster Craig Biggio's son is on the roster. They have former Astro George Springer on the roster. They got some talented guys up there in the Great White North. And they currently lead the American League East standings. They're 10-6 and six overall. Tied with the Yankees atop the standings. So Toronto has been in the mix. They've been an emerging, ascending team, if you will. But the Astros are 7-8. and eight. Once again, hovering around 500. it's early in the season. But they're 3-7 and seven in their last 10. They're a bit in a funk. Altuve was struggling before he got injured. Let's be honest. Jose was not playing well. Then he gets injured, which may have been the best thing for him. I mean, right now the Astros are below the Oakland Athletics who play in a stadium where their stadium is falling apart. They're drawing maybe 2,500 people for a game. And their owner is committing roughly $32 million to salary this year, which is the same amount the franchise committed in 1992 when they went to the World Series. That was 30 years ago. That's where they stand right now this morning. The AL West is interesting. I like Seattle's chances to be a wild card team. I like Seattle's chances more than I say the Angels or the Athletics, even though the Athletics always seem to be in the mix, despite the ownership hating the team, because that's exactly what it is. You can watch Moneyball all day long and feel good about yourself and be like, oh, look, they're the underdogs. No, they're the underdog because the owner doesn't give a damn. And now Billy Bean's even kind of been pushed aside there in Oakland. They got Melvin. They let him go, their longtime skipper. He had one year left on the deal. They gutted the team. And they don't, they're don't. they not even letting Billy do anything. Like, Billy's been pushed aside. He's getting a paycheck. That's all that's happening in Oakland. I don't know what the hell's going on with the A's. They are just on purpose. And fans are starting not to go, just like they are in Cincinnati. We'll discuss that later this week when Bob Neingale joins us from USA Today. But the Strohs sit there, 7-8. Now, they struggled over the weekend. They went a close game on Sunday to avoid being swept. Now they go on the road for a four-game series against the rival Texas Rangers, who are the only team in the division worse than them. Texas spent all that money this offseason. Spent all that money this offseason. And then they had injuries happen before the start of the season, and they're 5-10. and 10. So, Perfect time. You get a hard-fought win on Sunday in front of the home crowd. Now you're going to go play four games up in Texas. Texas is the worst team in the division. Time to get on track. Time to get on track if you're the Houston Astros. We'll be able, you will be able, rather, to listen to that game tonight, live, right here on the game. 710 first pitch. Astros at Rangers, the in state rivals facing off there at the Rangers' new facility that still reminds me of an abandoned Costco. It's like they put a ballpark inside of Costco. It's like, hey, there we go. This will work. Got to take a timeout. When we return, wow, man, it was such a busy weekend. NBA playoffs, Major League Baseball, but college baseball on the diamond. Whoo! It was a weekend of sweeps for LSU, Raging Cajuns, and McNeese. Oh, we'll get to that during the weekend that was. That's coming up next right here on RP3 and Company. You're listening to The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. The A2Fay Festival returns to Arneville April 29th to Sunday May the first. That's this coming weekend. The festival features carnival rides, food, bingo, live musical entertainment, including Jamie Bergeron and the Kicking Cajuns, Chubby Carey and the Bayou Swan Band, and Clay Cormier and the Highway Boys, just to name a few. In addition to the music and the rides, there's the Mayor's Cookoff Contest on Saturday, the A2Fay 5K, and a car show on Sunday. If you need more information about the 35th annual A2Fay Festival. Go visit www.ArnevilleCatholic.org backslash fade festival Don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day. What's going to happen in this Pels Sun series? How's it going to go down? We're going to at least get game six now in New Orleans. That'll be on Thursday. Game five will be in Phoenix tomorrow night, Tuesday night. How's this going to end now? Because it's... Been broken down as such. When Brandon Ingram's the best player on the court, Pell's won. When Chris Paul's the best player on the court, Suns win. That's how it's gone down the first four games. It's as easy as that. Who do you trust? Who do you think's going to step up and play their best basketball two of the last three games? Because this could very well go seven games. By the way, all the NBA playoff games appear to be that way this year. Even teams that we're on the, uh, the brink of being swept or fighting back. So we're getting a lot of really good, at least six game, possibly even some seven game series in the opening round of the NBA playoffs. But we want to hear from you. Pels and six, sons and six. Pels and seven, sons and seven. What do you think? Go vote on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. But it was a busy weekend on the diamond for college baseball teams here in the state of Louisiana. It's time for us to talk all about it. It's time for The Weekend That Was. Whether
0: you're working or helping your wife shop for curtains, Serenity Now! You'll be brought up to speed on the highlights you may have missed.
4: Thank you, you been happy.
0: Here is The Weekend That Was on RP3 and Company.
1: All three teams, LSU, UL, McNeese, all experienced sweeps over the weekend. And they were the ones holding the brooms, which is huge for all three teams. LSU had its hands full with Mizzou. Let's just say it like it is. They had their hands full with the other Tigers from Columbia, Missouri. Close games in all three contests. They played Thursday through Saturday there at Alex Box Stadium. But Tigers win all three. They improved to 27 and 12 overall. Now they're above 500 in conference play, 10 and 8 to be exact, which is key for them. And look, they, they've been wildly up and down in SEC play. One week they get swept or lose the series, the next week they win the series. This is what happened they got swept by Arkansas last weekend. And then this past weekend, they sweep Missouri. Now they're on a four-game winning streak after beating the Cajuns on Tuesday. 5-3 win on Thursday. Not easy. They need extra innings on Friday to win 4-3, to three, and then they outslug Missouri 8-6 in the final game on Saturday. But they get the job done. And and, and this is where we're the point with, with LSU. They're not going to be the prettiest wins, but it doesn't matter. They have to play O on Tuesday. And then they welcome in Georgia for a three-game set to Alex Box this coming weekend, Friday through Sunday. But they get the sweep. And for LSU, look, they are what they are. They can rake at times. They struggle to get timely hits. The pitching is okay. Not great, but okay. It's good enough for them to get to an NCAA regional. But as we talked about last week, the Tigers have a great opportunity to get off where they were last week. Heading into last weekend's series, Kendall Rogers with D1 Baseball had the field set up for NCAA regionals. And they had LSU as the number two seed In the same regional with Miami as Miami being the number two overall national seed. Which means that LSU was one of the weakest two seeds. Now, will a sweep of Mizzou really change that line all that much? No. But what it can do is let the Tigers build up some momentum as they still have to play some key series. Georgia, Vandy, Alabama. Those are still all on tap. For the Tigers, and not to mention SEC baseball tournament, they always thrive when they go up to Hoover and play in the Met. It's their home away from home. So LSU still has an opportunity to improve their standing and to get things rolling in the right direction, and get off that. You know, you, you don't you don't want to be the the two seed in the same regional with the number two. National seed. You you want to try to avoid that. (laughs) I, I believe LSU will improve their standing in that regard. I don't think you're going to see them in that regional. I think they're going to continue to improve and put themselves in a regional that may be a little bit easier for them to win. Raging Cajuns fell short against the Tigers in Baton Rouge on Tuesday. It was a tight game. It was a close game until the fifth inning, and it wasn't. That was an RPI game for the Cajuns. Cajuns are trying to place themselves in a position to get in at large bit if they don't win the Sunbelt Conference Tournament. And they had a great opportunity in front of them, even though they lost to LSU and remained right outside the top 50 in RPI. And once again, Kendall Rogers with D1 Baseball does, did not have the Cajuns in the field last week. That may change this week because Matt Deggs' team went on the road and swept Georgia State, one of the best teams in the Sun Belt. The team in the Sun Belt Conference that had one of the best RPIs in the 30s, Georgia State did. So when you take all three games from them, we talked about it, if they take two of three and they win the series, how much of a feather in the cap that will be for the Raging Cajuns and how that will improve their opportunity to get in at large for an NCAA regional. Well, Matt Degg's team put nothing, you know, huh. said not to worry about that. They improved to 23-16 and 16 overall in the season. Now 12-6 in conference play. They're now in third place in the standings. One series, one weekend series can make all the difference for a team. And they go on the road. And they win the hard-fought game on Friday, right? It was 5-4. You're like... That's what I expected this series to be. I expected it to be dr- dramatic type of games. Well, Saturday comes around, they win 6-3. to three. They win the series. You're like, yeah, there you go. Go Cajuns. Get after it. And then they decide to put the explanation point on everything by crushing the faces of Georgia State by the final score of, wait for it, 14-2 on Sunday. Like, we came into your house, we won the series, now we're just going to go ahead and get the sweep, and oh, by the way, we're going to do so in an embarrassing fashion by drubbing you and winning by 12 runs in a game that will be called in the seventh inning. Woo! Bit of a statement. It's a bit of a statement. Now, no midweek contest this week for the Cajuns. They got a three-game set at App State. So they're going to be traveling out east yet again. And then, of course, they'll come back home the following weekend to take on UTA for a three-game set at home at the Teague. So a couple weeks here of no midweek baseball for the Raging Cajuns. But third now in the Sunbelt standings after a sweep of Georgia State. And I would anticipate their RPI improving greatly. I would anticipate them jumping into the 40s now. And I would not be surprised if you see them in Kendall Rogers' projections this coming week of being into the field. Because here's the thing. Their RPI is going to be good because they played a lot of good teams already. LSU, Georgia State, Georgia Southern, UC Irvine, Louisiana Tech. They played a lot of teams with quality RPIs. Arkansas, Stanford in that classic over there in Texas. So Matt Deggs' team is trending in the right direction. After a slow start, after an up and down start, it sure does feel like they have turned a corner and have kind of found themselves. Sweeping Georgia State huge for the Raging Cajuns baseball team. But it wasn't the only sweep over the weekend. How about the Mean Cowboys? They've been inconsistent as well, just like Cajuns, just like LSU. But man, they played up to their potential this past weekend. They sweep southeastern Louisiana, take down the Lions. They improved to 23 and 17 now on the season. They're 9 and 6 in conference play, and that series sweep has now catapulted the Cowboys to top the Southland conference standings. Southland's wide open. I keep saying that over and over again, and they just are. There's not a dominant team in the conference this year. Every team has kind of looked like they may be the best team McNeese, Northwestern State, Southeastern, Nichols. Hey, man. But McNeese, which had some low points. Remember, they opened up Southland conference play, losing two or three to a lowly poor Houston Baptists. And they, then they beat Nichols, take two or three from Nichols, then get swept by Uno. But back to back weekend series sweeps for the Cowboys. They swept Incarnate Word last weekend. And then just a couple days ago, Southeastern Louisiana beats them seven to three on Friday. 6-4 to four on Saturday, then 8-4 to four on Sunday to complete the sweep. They'll be at home Tuesday night taking on ULM there at the Joe. Remember, the Warhawks handed them a 4-3 loss up in fun row last week. Could McNeese split the series for the season, get a little revenge against the Warhawks before having to go on the road to take on Texas A&M Corpus Christi for a three-game series there at Chapman Field. Sweeps, 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 and the brooms were in the hands of LSU, UL, and McNeese. Good weekend on the diamond for the college baseball teams here in the state. Unless you're a Southeastern Louisiana fan, then it was not, obviously, a, a good weekend because, you know, they got swept. <laughs> yeah, I see you. I see you over there giving me the business. We got to take a timeout. Wrap up our number one here on RP3 and company. Hotline's open we get those phone calls in. We want to talk Pels? Want to talk Major League Baseball? Want to talk Saints? Want to talk college baseball? 337 706 That's 337 706 You're listening to The Game. 1037 Lafayette, One zero four one Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. All the game, 1037 Lafayette, and 1041 Lake Charles wants to take you out to the ballgame with our latest Astros weekend getaway. The Astros take on the Texas Rangers on May 21st, and you can be there. That's right. Register in the game clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com to score yourself four tickets, a tour of Minute Maid ballpark, and hotel accommodations that Saturday night. That's right. Four tickets, tour of Minute Maid, and a hotel accommodation for one night astro weekend getaways are powered by butcher ac La meridian houston downtown and the game southwest louisiana sports station go register in our clubhouse today so you can have a chance to score the astros weekend getaway we do not throw in jumping over trains as part of our weekend getaway our apologies sorry about that sorry about that let's check in on our poll question of the day We asked you, how do you think this Pels series is going to end up with the Phoenix? It's knotted up two apiece now. Game five in Phoenix Tuesday night. Game six in New Orleans. We'll at least get a game six at the Smoothie King Center Thursday night. 55% of you say Pels win in seven. You think this is going to full seven. 20% of you say Pels win in six. 15% say Suns win in six. 10% of you say Suns win in seven. has chimed in. Let's not forget national media outrage for NOLA fans chanting what New York fans have been chanting for years. Yeah, yeah. who cares? Right? Who cares? Chants like that, people get outraged. Well, did you see what happened at Yankee Stadium over the weekend? Yeah. Stay classy. Stay classy. We got to. Throwing garbage onto the field. And your team won the game. What are we doing, man?
2: We had a we had somebody actually caught the ball from a home run for the Blue Jays, and then they realized it was a Blue Jays home run and they threw the ball back on the field.
1: That's okay. <laughs> That's part of the game. But when you're throwing water bottles and trash in your hot dog container and stuff like that and
2: yeah, it's just nasty.
1: Nah, come on, man. Come on. This is why we can't have nice things. <laughs> exactly. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two coming up. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Welcome back to RP3 and company on this lovely Monday morning. What a weekend it was. Busy weekend in the sports world. You had LSU, UL, McNeese all sweep their opponents over the weekend. All put themselves in great position for conference tournaments and NCAA regionals. McNeese is now tied for first in the Southland. Raging Cajuns are now in third place in the Sunbelt standings. And LSU's above 500 in SEC play. Great weekend on the Diamond. Also, can't forget about the Raging Cajun softball team. They took two of three at App State to win that series. Now, 71 in a row for Jerry Glasgow's team when it comes to weekend conference series. Astros, not so great. They avoid being swept by winning 8 7 yesterday in Minute Made. They're a game below 500 and they're near the bottom of their division but it's still early Jose Altuve banged up they still have some time to figure things out and guess what four game series against the Texas Rangers on tap now on the road in Arlington starts tonight you listen to the first game of that series right here on the game first pitch set for 7-10 Astros at Rangers but the Astros got some things to figure out they're always sluggish To start the season, they're always slow starters. Nothing like playing the Rangers to get things on track. At least that's what you hope if you're an Astros fan. Of course, NBA playoffs in full swing. Tons of competitive action, including the New Orleans Pelicans, who win last night inside the Smoothie King Center. They tied up their series with number one seed Phoenix Suns. Two games apiece. Game five will be Tuesday in Phoenix. Game six. Game six back here in New Orleans, that's right, Louisiana, stand-up, on Thursday night. We want to know from you, knowing that you're at least going to get a six-game series now. How's this series going to end? Because it's come down to this. Chris Paul's the best player on the court, Suns win those two games. He was sensational in the fourth quarter. When the Pels win, B.I. is the best player on the court. 30-plus points. That's how it's boiled down to. Who do you trust moving forward? Only three games left here to determine who's going to punch their ticket and move on to the next round of the NBA playoffs. That's our poll question of the day. What you got? Are the Pels going to win in six, or are they going to win in seven? Is Phoenix going to win in six, or are they going to win in seven? Go vote on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. But let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on our good friend, Mr. Green. Jamie, good morning to you, brother. How was your weekend, and what's on your mind, my friend?
5: Good morning, Mr. Third. My weekend was was fantastic. I got to go visit my in-laws and, uh, and saw some wrestling up in Gina. Not wrestling, wrestling. Wrestling, so,
1: yes! Well,
5: yeah, it was, it was fun though. It was a good, good, fun event. Um, and so, uh, we had a good time, but, uh, I wanted to go on on the poll question of the day. And, uh, first of all, let me say this. I blame Mr. Extraordinaire for my Pels fandom because I never invested in an NBA team. And then he got me excited about them. And so, you know, I got invested. And I'm going to say they're going to win in seven. And the reason they're going to win in seven, who's younger, be I or this ball.
1: Oh, of course, B.I.
5: There you go. He's got fresher legs. He's going to keep those fresher legs. Old guys can only do so much before they kind of go off the rails. You know that, and I know that because, you know, I'm old, and you're not as young as you used to be. So, uh, <laughs> anyway, that's my two cents. I hope you guys have a fantastic rest of the week, and uh, we'll talk at you guys later.
1: Thank you, Jamie. <laughs> have a great day. Yes, I'm not young. <laughs> that's it. Not, not young. Not young. Driving back from New Orleans yesterday from the Zurich Classic, I was like, man, I'm getting get a little too old for all this. That's the first thing I thought of. man. I'm stuck in traffic in Baton Rouge, and I'm like, ah, I could have just stayed home. <laughs> you just get to a point where you're like, eh, maybe I'll just stay home. Maybe i just stay home. Oh, but uh, Jamie says Pell's in seven. Well, there we go. Let's head back out to the hotline. Welcome on our guy, Doug. Doug, good morning to you, brother. How was your weekend, and what's on your mind, my friend?
4: Boy, oh, um, good morning, Ray. It, it was great. I tell you, uh, Tiger baseball, Cajun baseball, and softball, Ray. I, it was crazy. Uh, I seen a reliever come out for the Tigers I had never seen before. His name is
3: Hastie.
4: Hey, he was on fire, Ray. He yeah. came out for like two and a half, man. It was like, wow, where did this guy come from? He really wanted to prove himself uh, when he came out. He was great. I'd like to see some more of him. And and Collins, he came out. He didn't play much. Struggled a little bit, but I think he he just needs more time on the mound. And, and Doug, for me
1: with LSU, I think the bigger thing for me with them is this. You know, they got this – Georgia's pretty good, right? They're a pretty good team, especially this year. They're kind of a – Right? Yeah. Yeah. They don't have to sweep Georgia. What about just winning back-to-back series, back-to-back weekend series, okay, in conference play? I think that would go a long way for LSU to get off that line where they're at right now being the two-seed in the Coral Gables regional with Miami. I know there's still plenty of time left, and they're great in Hoover, and they'll probably make a run there at the Met. But I just want to see Jay Johnson's team – they took down Missouri, great. Go out and beat Georgia now. If you can do that, I think maybe this team has really turned a corner.
4: They have. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. And let's hope they can do that in Georgia. I mean, two, two out of three go a long ways in heading to the SEC championship and then in going into the regional. You're right, bud. And, yes, and yesterday, Ray, softball. Well, LSU softball, Ray. Uh, my Lady Tigers took two out of three from Georgia,
3: mm-hmm. and that
4: second game was just crazy. Ray, twelve to three, Georgia. In the first inning of the second game, I I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Georgia put up twelve runs in the first inning. They, the Tigers, went through three pitches in that inning. I mean, they made it respectable at the end. It was like fourteen to nine, I believe, at the end of the game, but. Good Lord have mercy. And yesterday, Georgia Clark, uh, my slugger, she got her a grand slam yesterday, Ray. It was pretty, too.
1: I like uh, like Beth's team. I still think they're a lot like Jerry's team here with the Cajuns is that they have a lot of youngsters on there, and you're going to have these games which make you just scratch your head and you go, what's going on there? It's uh, Look, I've said this before. I believe both the Cajuns and the Tigers are going to be regional teams. I don't believe yep. they're going to host either one. I think they're going to have to be on the road. But I think with so much youth on both rosters, the fact that they have put themselves in position to be in NCAA regionals, and look, they, they could both make runs at their conference tournaments because they're talented. They're just wildly kind of inconsistent because of the youth. I think they're getting better as the season progresses, but I still think both teams are going to go to an NCAA regional. Doug,
4: absolutely correct, Ray. Absolutely correct. But I love I love this weekend watching them. Thanks for checking my call, Ray.
1: Not a problem, Doug. Have a tremendous day, brother. Let's head back out to the hotline. Let's welcome on Mike to the show. Mike, good morning to you, brother. What's on your mind, my friend? How was your weekend? Oh,
6: good morning, is rp RP3. Hand of five names. Love the show. Uh, have a great weekend. Uh, just the Pels just topped it off. I mean, I really just wanted to call in and say that, uh, I told Hannah earlier, the bandwagon is filling up quickly, please. (laughs) If if you're thinking, if you're thinking about getting on, jump on, hurry, that there's not many seats left, get on. Uh, it's a very fun, exciting team to watch. I I just, you know, no matter what happens right here, um, I I think David Griffin deserves credit. He built. He deserves credit because
1: he's made up – he's fixed his own mistakes, right? And that's that's a big thing because the first couple years were a lot of blunders, right? A lot of bad free agent moves, a lot of bad trades. And he figured it out – he figured out they made two really good draft picks, right? Herb Jones has just been unreal as a second rounder. They were patient with Trey. And more importantly, Griff got it right with the trade for McCollum, which has been huge for this team, veteran leadership, which they needed, they lacked. And they got it right with Willie Green. It took him three coaches, right. but he got it right. Finally, they got the right guy—former player, gritty player—and the guys, the guys on the team, especially BI, have responded immensely to Willie Green.
6: Yeah, the whole team. I mean, all the way down to Alvarado. I mean, he's just—you uh, know—I think Phoenix is in trouble, and I think they know it. They—they they may come out with a win. I'm going to say the 1,006. You know, that's what I had in, in the beginning. But I think I think Keenis is in trouble. You saw that last night whenever Herb Jones and Chris Paul got into it. And Herb Jones didn't back down. And Dion backed his guy up. I yep. mean, he backed his rookie up. I mean, I love seeing that. Uh, Devin Booker, I think that's going to be the, the, the deciding factor. Is he coming? But, you know, with a hamstring injury that he had, he's going to miss. He's not going to be – if he comes to game six, he's not going to be, I don't think, 100%. Oh, no. So, no. God, no. Um, I think the pedals six. I think Phoenix is nervous. And I don't know. I just think regardless of whatever happens, hurry and get on the wagon.
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> Mike, appreciate the phone day, call, brother. It. Enjoy your day, man. Look, there's still plenty of space. I'm sure we can reach out to our number one New Orleans Pelicans fan, Louis Prejean. I'm sure he'll be more than happy to accept anyone to come on the bandwagon. He's He's all about the love. MC Louis P is
3: hmm
1: so yeah I just this series interests me because can the Pelicans do what they did last night to Chris Paul two more games that's what it, uh, because in the Phoenix's two wins Chris Paul took over in the fourth quarter and the Pels had no answer can the Pelicans shut down Chris Paul and frustrate him like they did last night two more times You have to feel pretty confident that they can, but they didn't do that good of a job on Friday. So, this is why I have just a little trepidation on this. It sure does feel like, though, this is going to be a seven-game series. That's what it feels like to me. Whether or not Devin Booker comes back is irrelevant because I don't think he's going to be that much of an impactful player anyway, because he's coming off a hamstring injury. Look, you, yeah. you you see this all the time. NFL, major league baseball, NBA does not matter. You suffer the hamstring. You come back, you try to push it too much. You, you make it worse. You make it worse. So unless they're going to just let Devin be a spot up shooter, but that's going to be easier to defend because he's not going to be able to do anything with the ball in his hands. So, I like the Pel's chances, but the way this series has gone for me personally, it's, it's wildly inconsistent. Like I said before, Chris Paul's taken over in the fourth quarter twice. Both of those times, Phoenix won. Both times. When B.I.'s taken over, it's gotten 30 plus, New Orleans wins. So it's all, for New Orleans, it all comes down to this. It all comes down to can they frustrate Paul enough and have B.I. If B.I. gets 30 and they frustrate Chris Paul, they're going to win the series. They'll win the next two games if they do that. They'll win games five and six. They'll win in Phoenix. But Phoenix is going to have the home crowd. They're going to be amped up. And this is where it gets tricky because you don't do 2-2. You know, you're not going to do two games in a row at one place. Now it's going to be one game, one game, one game. Right? That's how the format is. 2-2-1-1-1. So, Phoenix, if it does go seven, two of the next three games are in Phoenix. Now, you would expect that to be an advantage because they're at home. But I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Either way, we're getting a game six, which is phenomenal, right? We're getting a game six. Right. Who would have thought that? Who would have thought that the first month of the season? Hell, who would have thought that a month ago? I mean, they were playing better, but no one's, you know, it was going to be a win. Once again, remember this. It was supposed to be a win just to have the Pels in the playing tournament. And they won the two games in the playing tournament. Now they've given everyone hope and everyone's excited and they're pumped up and they're ready to go. I get it. And without Devin Booker, Phoenix does look like they're very vulnerable. Really do. So we'll see. Good phone calls there. Start off hour number two. All right. When we come back here on RP3 and Company, you heard me mention the Zurich Classic. They give away championship belts to the winners. That's pretty cool. And it was a different type of environment. Like parties were going on. Like they had live music after the golf tournament. On the grounds of the golf tournament. I'd never seen that before. I was like, what? What is going on? What's that music guy here? They got not one but two bands playing on big stages. People are partying, having a good time. I saw more than a few ladies stumbling out to the shuttle area when I was leaving. I was like, oh, that's... You're going to have a rough morning. <laughs> I'll talk about Zurich classic. chauvelin Cantley win wire to wire. I'll be coming up next right here on the game. 103.7 Lafayette, One zero four one Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station.
0: There are some hosts.
1: Oh, uh, the Zerg Classic of New Orleans. It was a fun event. I never had attended it in my career. Got the opportunity this year to do so. And uh, it was something else, man. It was something else. First of all, it's a massive complex. The The golf course itself. They shut down the entire road. So... You have to go through, you have to go to a separate site to get your credentials and your parking pass. Then you drive down, then you're allowed. They actually shut down part of the highway by the golf course. But I had a special you know, parking pass, so I was allowed to go through to an area where you essentially are parking in the median. Big, huge median down from the golf course. That's where all the parking's at. And then they shuttle you to the actual golf course. You have to go through security and the whole nine yards. So they got Zurich stuff everywhere, like balloons, and lanterns, and everything. It's, it's all out. So I get there yesterday for the final round, and weather's a little off, right? It's raining a little bit, everything like that. On, on and off throughout the day. And the grandstands were massive. And people came out for that event. That, this is an event that nearly got kind of pushed aside by the PGA Tour. And not because Katrina happened back in 2005, but because attendance started kind of dwindling. But they, man, people were out. Now, I don't know if this is because it was post-COVID or whatever it might be, but people were out. That place was packed. It was packed at the Zura Classic. I'll share some photos, a little bit of a gallery later on this morning on Twitter and Instagram to show you. Just how packed it was. And afterwards, like so we're waiting to interview the guys. And the winners, of course, were Patrick Cantwell and and Xander Shoffley. And they won Wired Wire. So we're in the big media tent area and we're waiting. And they have have your typical little outside media area where we got to interview Sam Burns and Billy Horschel, who finished as runner-up. But then the winners come inside to the big tent area where we're at. And we're waiting and we're waiting. Man, what's going on? And I just hear nothing but music. I was like, who's playing music? They had a party. Like they had this huge dining area, hospitality area for the fans, where there's just like, you know, a hundred tables around one of the holes, and there's a stage. And they got this cover group playing Earth, Wind, and Fire. And then they got another big tent by the the uh, towards the entrance exit for the place that had hundreds of people just dancing, having a good time. It was a party, man. They put on a party there at the Zurich Classic. I just wanted to say that. As for the actual competition, once again, only team event on tour. So they played two rounds of foursomes, and they played two rounds of four ball. And this looked like that Cantley and Shoffley were running away with it because they broke, they shattered the third-round record there at the Zurich Classic after Saturday's four-ball event. I mean, they had a, I do you believe it was a six-stroke lead? They were just cruising. But what happened is that they cruised, but they started off slow on Sunday. They parred their first six holes. And they weren't their best. And that opened up the door for Sam Burns and Billy Horschel. Now, Burns, of course, is your former All-American at LSU. Billy Horschel is the only player to win the Zurich Classic as an individual and as a team player in the team format. They changed the formats. He's the only person that's won it in both ways. So, Sam Burns has been hot on the PGA Tour. He's won a couple events. So, they, they they were six strokes back to start the day, and they came out on absolute fire. They carded three birdies on the front nine with red numbers on two, five, and eight. And then the duo kept the low numbers coming on the start of the back nine with a birdie on 10 and then another on 11. And the lead that Cantley and Shoffley had was down to one. Was down to one. But... Cantlin Shoffley saw their lead shrink to one after they bogeyed 10, but they bounced back, pushed it back to two strokes with a birdie on 11. They had a great eagle back on 7-2, which really was probably the difference in the final round. And then Burns and Horschel carted pars on holes 12 through 16, and then they had a bogey on 17. Burns hit his driver into the water on 16, but they were able to save par on that but they did bogey on 17. Cantley, Shoffley, weren't their best on Sunday. They were even par. Their worst round of the tournament, but it was enough for a two-stroke victory as the duo that have played together numerous times, they've played the Zurich Classic together. They've been on the President's Cup team and the Ryder Cup team together. They've played together in national events, international events representing USA, USA. Cantley, of course, is your 2021 FedEx Cup champion. And Xander Shoffley is your 2020 Olympic gold medalist. So they play well together, and they did so as they won wire to wire over the weekend down <coughs> in New Orleans. And Shawley talked about afterwards just how natural it is their, their friendship and their partnership as a team is.
7: I think uh, we balance each other out and really uh, complement each other. And, you know, uh, both on and off the golf course, we have a great time. So it was just really natural. is what I, you know, really wanted to do and look forward to after uh, concluding the season.
1: Now, I mentioned the eagle they had. Cantley set it up with a tremendous approach shot, got it about eight feet from the hole. Shawley goes and then knocks in the putt to get them the eagle, which proved to be a big difference in the round. And Shawfully was asked if he knew that they were in the lead after the seven. Did they do a little scoreboard watching, so to speak?
7: Pat had an unbelievable shot into seven. It's one of those shots you kind of see on coverage, and you're like, I don't even know how that ball got there. So it was a pretty thing to see live uh, from my angle from the fairway. Uh, so I was happy to sort of clean that clean it up for him since he hit such a great shot in there. And then, uh, yeah, I, I feel like those bogeys are pretty much my fault. You know, put him in bad spots on nine and ten um, with an eight iron and a wedge in hand. So... Pat is is really good at staying calm and staying present. That helped me stay calm and stay present. So we weren't really too worried about where everyone else was at, just trying to focus on what we do best.
1: I mentioned Cantley as your defending FedEx champion. and, And look, he and Shoffley work really well together. Sometimes it just happens. They played against each other or with each other in college once, and then like Tiger Woods and Fred Couples noticed them during one of the international competitions, said these guys really work well together and that's kind of how it's begun, and they've become fast friends. And Cantley was asked, did they know when they took to, to the course on Sunday what they needed to do to be able to win the Zurt Classic?
7: We knew what we had to do. We knew that we, it was comforting knowing that we had that five-shot lead. Um, you know, the wind's been up all week, and can kind of get the best of you if you try and press in certain moments. So um, we obviously needed that lead to be comfortable coming down the stretch uh, on that back nine to sort of play, you know, bogey-free golf or just kind of playing for par in a sense. So, um, But, no, we, we sort of knew. We didn't need to have a conversation about it. We kind of knew what we needed to do.
1: So, you go. Cantley, Shoffley. They're your winners of the 2022 Zurich Classic. The only team event, official team event on the PGA Tour. Great atmosphere down there at the course in Avondale. And, uh, boy, they... They know how to party. Boy, they had some fun. The people were having fun. Did I see a few ladies stumble with their boyfriends or husbands walking out? Yes. Did I see police officers for Jefferson Parish Sheriff's Office just have a look on their faces like, oh, these people? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> I, saw, I saw one sheriff's deputy just tell the ma'am, he goes, ma'am, just, j- it's time to leave. Just, ma'am, just, just, just leave. It's going to be okay. Just, just just, leave. But the party was still rocking when I left. And I wrote the story, posted it, stayed around for post game audio, the whole nine yards, and still the party was going on there at the Zurich Classic. So, yeah, it was a good time. It was a good time held by all. Had by all, rather. Let's take a timeout. When we return, we're going to talk LSU. Big sweep over Missouri. Can they build some momentum and actually win back-to-back weekend series that's what WASH we'll Jeff Palermo, co host of Tiger Rag Radio and the sports and news director for the Louisiana Radio Network. He'll join us live next, right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station.
0: RP3 grew up dreaming of one day playing right field for the Atlanta Braves, just like his hero, Dale Murphy.
1: I wanted to grow up and be Dale Murphy.
0: Little Raymond, though wasn't quite the caliber of athlete of his childhood hero as his lone highlights as a ball player were being beat twice in the head. That actually explains a lot. Back to more RP3 and company on the game. 103.7 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
1: Festival International is officially sold out of the Lanyap Passes for 2022. But lucky for you, you can still score one. Thanks to your friends here at the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. The Lanyap Pass gives you access to air-conditioned restrooms and express beverage lines. That's right. No sweating in the hot sun for the restrooms or drinks. I don't know about you, but that is awesome to hear. You can win a pair of Lanyap Passes when you simply text F-I-L that's F-I-L to 68683 once again text the word F-I-L to 68683 it's a festival international winning weekend from the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles Southwest Louisiana Sports Station but time is running out today is the last day you can win these lanyard passes gotta get those text messages in once again text FIL to six eight six eight three a 3 to win Festival International Lanyette passes. Don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day. What is your prediction for the rest of this series for the Pels and the Suns? Pels in six or seven? Suns in six or seven? We want to hear from you. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. But right now it's time for us to talk LSU with the man who co hosts Tiger Rag Radio. He's also the sports and news director for the Louisiana Radio Network. It's our good friend, the one and only Jeff Palermo. Jeff, good morning to you, brother. How are you?
8: Oh, I'm doing well, Raymond. How about yourself?
1: Doing, doing well. All right, let's get right to it. Jay Johnson's team gets the sweep. Weekend sweep against Missouri. They had to fight for it, though, a little bit, but they do get the sweep. What were some of the big positives you took away from what happened at the box?
8: Well, I think, again, the bullpen continues to pitch well. Uh, I, I think just overall they continue to get really good pitching. Is it dominating pitching? Is it pitching that's going to uh, just shut out opponents? Uh, no, but I think it's um, it, it plays, right? I, I mean, it gives it every game it, it, LSU has a chance. I mean, when you look at what LSU has done this season, it, it's – there's not too many games that you you really look at and say, boy, they, you know that game was over in the second or third inning. I mean, they, they're in every single game, uh, despite um, you know maybe not obviously the, the the best record that LSU fans would would want, but uh, here in SEC play in particular, I mean they're they're right there with, uh, and a, a lot of their losses have been. Um, yeah, maybe outside of the Arkansas series, um, you know. But even then, uh, when you look at that Arkansas series, uh, the, the four game, the three games they lost, the uh, the the largest margin of defeat in any of those games was four. So they could just they continue to get good pitching, and I think they have figured something out here with the lineup, which. Um, I think will help them here down the stretch with having Josh Pearson at the top of the order and getting Trey Morgan out of the leadoff spot, getting him more in an RBI situation because he's such a clutch hitter. I think that helps. Um, again, I you know, really the, the thing that I think really holds him back is just uh, the fielding. I mean, another critical error by Josh uh, Thompson on Thursday, or excuse me, on Saturday where they had a, a tailor-made double play ball, and he, he boots it, but uh, LSU still ends up winning the game. But still, it just uh, results in another unearned run um, and, and, you know, more pitches and so forth like that. So uh, that continues to really be, the, to me, the big issue with this team is uh, they committed uh, two more errors on Saturday but still figured out a way to to win that game by two runs and get the sweep. They're going to
1: try to do something they haven't done all year, and that's win back-to-back series, weekend series. And Georgia comes to town now. Georgia's a far better team than Mizzou is. We know that. Do you believe that the Tigers, who have now won four straight with the Cajun, with the win over the Cajuns last week during the midweek contest, do you believe if they beat Georgia, let's say not, don't sweep them, Jeff, but if they take two of three, that the team has finally turned a corner?
8: Well, I think, first of all, just playing well at home this past weekend. You know, they had dropped their two previous mm-hmm. series, and this was a series when you, when you looked at it after you got past the, the difficult weekend in Fayetteville, you, you sat there and said, okay, this is a series coming up here for LSU against Missouri, one of the worst teams in the league where the Tigers should at least win two out of three. Uh, Missouri does not have very good pitching, and uh, LSU should be able to score some runs. Again, they didn't you know it wasn't, you know, double digit runs every game, but still they're scoring six, seven, eight runs a game that will play. And now they get to welcome a, a Georgia Bulldog team that has not really pitched very well this season. I mean, Georgia has the worst ERA in the southeastern conference. It's at five point three nine. That's I mean, that's even worse than Missouri. I mean their record looks awfully good, but uh what they've done on a, as far as pitching wise has has not been very good, uh, but Georgia is a team that's uh, going to hit the ball fairly well. Um, you know, they're they're kind of right up there with LSU offensively. So this is another weekend where you, you look at it that LSU should be able to take uh, two out of three. And then, I mean, I, I guess going back to these previous losses at home. Uh, you know the lot, the series loss to Auburn doesn't look terrible at the moment. Um, you know they're eleven and seven in league play. Uh, the series loss to Texas A and M that doesn't look all that bad. Uh, they're ten and eight. So I, I mean I, LSU is you know LSU's ten and eight in league play. I think they're they're kind of beating the teams that they should be beating, and you know they're struggling against uh, some of the better teams. And uh, this Georgia team though it, it is kind of. Uh, when you look at it, <laughs> to, to see them be the eleven and seven in conference play and have a, a team piece, a team pitching ERA where it's at, it's it's kind of befuddling to figure out just exactly how good or why they're in the position they're in. Um, but um, they, you know, so oh, this this should be interesting. But Georgia has, you know, they they've played some of the weaker teams in the Southeastern Conference. When you look at their schedule, I mean, they took two out of three against Mississippi State. Uh, they swept Florida. I mean, Florida has been struggling for much of the season. They took two out of three against South Carolina. That's not a. It's another team that's not all that great. Alabama has been pretty good, and they just coming off a series where they uh, won two out of three there, and actually uh, pitched it pretty well. Uh, they only gave up five runs in that uh, series. So um, we'll see. Uh, but yeah, I, I think uh, if LSU could take two out of three here coming up against Georgia. I think they got, uh, you could sit here and say, okay, you know, now they're kind of trying to fight to somehow host a regional, but they got a lot of work to get to that point.
1: Yeah, they have a lot of work to get to that point. You know, the latest projections last week, Jeff, had them as a two seed in the Coral Gables regional with number two national seed Miami. Lots of time in between now and when that'll have to be decided, including the fact that LSU always plays well at the Met. For the SEC tournament in Hoover so they still have time to improve their standing and possibly even host a regional and you look at their schedule Georgia they're pretty good that series and you got another series against Bama right so that's another opportunity Ole Miss is in the dumps so that really isn't going to help you the last series of the season though is in Nashville at Vandy that could be a huge measuring stick contest series for the Tigers right
8: yeah, that could be a big series. You're right about that. Uh, but it, as you rattled off the next three, all winnable series. Yeah. All winnable series for the Tigers. So if you take two out of three in all those games, in all those series, that puts you at 16 and 11, you know, heading into the uh, final three games against uh, Vanderbilt. And if somehow uh, you're able to win two out of three, you win 18 games in the SEC in the regular season. That puts you right in the hunt for uh, hosting an an NCAA regional.
1: And then, if you win a couple games in the SEC tournament, then you get over the 20-win threshold, and we know how well they do in in Hoover. We're talking with Jeff Palermo. He's co-host of Tiger Rag Radio. He's also the sports and news director for the Louisiana Radio Network. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. All right, bud, they're playing a midweek contest at UNO for some odd reason. I don't know if that's a favor or someone owed somebody money, but – they're going to be on the road at UNO taking on the privateers. Uh, what do we know so far? Who's going to start? Who, who's going to be the pitcher? And what's going to be the approach to the midweek contest against the privateers?
8: Well, for, you know, Jay Johnson, every game to him is, um, and not to say that it wasn't for Paul Maneri, but he, you know, the, the idea is to go out there and win the game. And, um so I think that's what they'll try to do. You know, UNO, uh, the, the Southland Conference, when, when you look at it, has been very competitive this year. I mean, you look at the you look at the standings. There's you have uh, what they got five teams that are over 500 in league play in uh, in, in the conference there. And uh, UNO is uh, you know they've had some ups and downs uh, with their season. Uh, it's a team that's been scoring a lot of runs lately. They coming off a very offensive series where they took 2 out of 3 against Texas A&M Corpus Christi and they scored like 36 runs or so in that 3 game series. So um they they've had uh, they've had their they've had their moments this year has uh, UNO. And um you know they, they got beat pretty bad when they faced LSU back in uh, early March 11 to 3, but uh for LSU I would think you're going to see a lot of different pitchers in the game and uh, it's just to continue to see if uh, the Tigers can can keep scoring. Uh, the amount of runs that they've been scoring here lately, you know, somewhere between outside of that Arkansas series, you know, they've been scoring for the most part, you know, five to eight runs. And every now and then they'll, they'll have an outburst of a uh, double digit runs. And that's what we've seen a lot in the midweek games. Uh, the LSU has been really taking care of business in these midweek games, got a solid win against the Cajuns last week. So, um, yeah, I would expect uh, LSU to get some run, get, get a victory here um, and uh, continue to, to move on and get ready for Georgia after that.
1: All right, Bud. We'll ask you about the spring game. It wasn't full on, right? It was the first one of the Brian Kelly era, and they had some injuries. And you know, it's a spring game, so it's a you know glorified scrimmage. But uh, what were some of the big takeaways for you of what you saw for LSU as they wrapped up spring football practice on Saturday?
8: but you saw the organization uh that that was the one thing i think you come away impressed with it it wasn't um i mean some of these spring games have been kind of rough to watch just because um it they were a little bit out of out of control and and so forth but there was a plan there uh, brian kelly gave a um uh, a, a, a kind of a fiery speech at halftime maybe if you could say that and, they, and the offense really started to move the ball a little bit better in the second half uh, you saw how dominant the defensive line could be and I, I think the the big takeaway from this is that Garrett Nussmeyer is is in play to potentially or at least to compete for the starting spot in August at quarterback and even Brian Kelly said after the game that who the starter is, is it, it didn't get any clearer for them after it. And, in fact, the decision becomes a little tougher. I mean, Nussmeier looked the best out of the three. I mean, Jaden Daniels, you saw what he does. Uh, if no one's open in two seconds, he's going to run for, run for it. Uh, Miles Brennan, it was an okay day. It wasn't necessarily anything flashy. None of the quarterbacks threw any interceptions, so I would say that's a good thing. But Nussmeyer, he's got the athleticism. He's got a a good arm. Uh, He made some nice passes. He moved the ball better than the other quarterbacks as far as the drives go. And now that was just a snapshot of one day. I'm sure if you look back at the 15 practices during spring practice, there were were days that Miles Brennan looked really good, and there were days that Jaden Daniels looked really good. But to think that this is just a two-man race for starting quarterback – uh-uh. Nussmeyer is in, in the picture, and one thing that Brian Kelly wants to avoid is playing two quarterbacks during the regular season. He talked about how it's it's an absolute nightmare to do it. You'll do it if you have to, but he'd rather not. He would like to find a guy and, and stick with him, but it's going to be a very difficult decision for the coaching staff, but that's a good thing. You'd rather have really good competition there than not.
1: Jeff, appreciate you, Tom. As always, brother, enjoy your week, and we'll talk to you next Monday, bud.
8: All right, Raymond, thanks. Appreciate it.
1: Jeff Palermo, co-host of Tiger Rag Radio and the sports and news director for the Louisiana Radio Network talking all things LSU. If you want to know more about what took place at the spring game for LSU, the National L game, as they like to call it, go visit our website, 1037thegame.com or 1041 thegamecom our intrepid reporter Matt Miguez was there reporting on it, giving you the highlights and the stars of Saturday's spring contest for the LSU Tigers. we got to take a timeout. Wrap up our number two. That's next right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Poll question of the day. How will the Suns-Pels playoff series turn out? 46% of you say right now Pels will win in seven games. 21% say Pels win in six. 18% say Suns win in six. 15% of you say Suns win in seven. Let's get to some comments, shall we? Darren, the number one Raging Cajun fan of RP3 and company, says, Everybody drinking the Kool Aid. The Pels will be the Pels. It's a bad matchup for the Suns because Coach Green knows Monty Williams' system. The Pels never won four games in a row all year long. What makes you think they can beat the best team in seven games? And Tom responds because they don't have to win four in a row. Darren has responded as well. They are who we thought they were, and that's the same regular team we saw in the regular season. Don't get fooled. Look around the NBA. There are a few series where the underdogs are surprising, but I don't think they will win. Baton says, we at least can agree, go Cajuns. <laughs> that is correct. That is correct. John Paul says, only reason I picked the Suns in seven because stuff I guess is always wrong. I never pay attention to the NBA, but I love a good underdog sports story. The Pels, great underdog sports story. Crystal Ball says, Crystal Ball Predictions says, Pels in seven. Tiger Bait says, let's win this thing. Shares a gif of let's win this thing. There we go. Salty Steve has chimed in. In the Pels' history, they have had more disappointments than Charlie Brown. I don't know if the Suns will jerk the football away as the Pels attempt to kick it, but I feel that I've seen this show before. Lucy gets them every time. Keep those comments coming on our poll question of the day. Leave them on Facebook and Twitter at the game. Hour number two in the books. Hour number three. How are we going to kick it off? How about with talking Raging Cajun sweep at Georgia State with the longtime voice of the Raging Cajuns, Jay Walker. That's next right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Our number three has arrived on this Monday edition of RP3 and Company. Good morning. And thank you for tuning in to us on the Radio Dial. Whether you listen to us here in Acadiana on 103.7 or in Lake Charles on 1041. We appreciate you. You can also catch us on the free mobile app for both Android and Apple devices, also on your Google Home or your Alexa. Or if you want to catch us on the television here in Acadiana We're simulcast on stadium, 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber. It was a busy, jam-packed weekend. We've tried to touch on it all. NBA playoffs, of course. Pelicans winning last night to even that series up at two games apiece. That will definitely mean we get a game six in New Orleans on Thursday. Poll question of the day is all about that. How do you think this series is going to end up? Pels in six, Pels in seven, Suns in six, or Suns in seven. Go vote leave you comments on Facebook and Twitter. We also talked about Houston Astros, struggling still. They avoid being swept by winning yesterday. They're below 500, but they always notoriously start off slow. And you know what could uh, what the doctor orders, doctor orders in this kind of thing? How about a four-game set at Texas? Who spent all that money in the offseason and they are awful. Injuries have plagued them. That'll begin tonight. You can listen to Astros Rangers right here. First pitch, 7-10 tonight right here on the game. But it was also a great weekend on the diamond for college baseball teams. LSU swept Missouri. McNeese swept southeastern Louisiana to get in first place in the Southland Conference. But you also had what happened in the Sun Belt. Raging Cajuns come up with a huge series sweep on the road at Georgia State. Their RPI is going to be really good after that to break it all down for us is our good friend Jay Walker
0: listen up UL fans it's time to talk all things Raging Cajuns with the longtime voice of the Raging Cajuns Jay Walker here is calling Cajuns on RP3 and company
1: Jay good morning to you brother how you doing today my friend
9: I am uh, I am groggy after getting uh, back home at, I don't know, about midnight last night, but I am upright and I have a smile on my face, so I guess that's good. There you go, bud. Start off the week strong. Start off the yeah. week strong.
1: All right. Uh, great series victory and a sweep to boot. Um, excellent for Matt Deggs' team, especially – with the way they've been playing the last couple weeks, it's just sure does seem like they've started to turn a corner. Give me your biggest takeaways from what you saw on the road there against Georgia State.
9: Well, you know, I think if you look at the series as a congregate and you know Matt Deggs and you've listened to what Matt Deggs has had to say about, you know, the, the things that he believes about his program, I think what you saw over the weekend was Raging Cajun baseball the way he envisions it. Um, they did a lot of things right offensively. They had 37 hits. Uh, they made they made some things happen with their short game, uh, but they also hit some balls out of the ballpark. Uh, their their pitching was superb, uh, and they were charged with two errors. Only one of them was really an error. So defensively, they were pretty much impeccable. Um, they were really good this weekend. You know, this weekend they could have beaten anybody on their schedule. It's the best three games, I think, that they've played as a whole all year long.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. Pitching, defense, and hitting. And it just seems like, and this happens a lot, especially in baseball, Jay, and you know this, where a team really starts to kind of find itself and it starts to really come together and everything starts to click. And I love what you said there where you said, this is what Matt Deggs envisions for his team. This is the type of series – And the type of performance that he envisions from this. My question to you is Do you think this team now is to the point where they can carry this momentum over and start playing like this weekend after weekend after weekend, and hopefully a long postseason run?
9: Well, you know, let's remember this is still baseball, and, uh, you know, they're not going to be like this every single time they go out. I mean, that's just not the way this game works. But, um, you know, they've won 14 out of 19 now. So they're playing some pretty consistent baseball. And um, I don't see any reason, barring injuries, why that would not continue. Because I I really think that some things have settled. Okay? You've settled now on your Friday, Saturday, Sunday guys. And your Friday, Saturday, Sunday guys are going out and performing. Um, You know, you, you pretty much settled on a lineup. You know, there's still... You know, are you going to play Willis at first? Are you going to play Brandon? Are you going to put Vayon back in the lineup? So there's still that one slot in the lineup, but I think everything else is pretty much solidified. And now, what you have are you got guys that you've been waiting to get hot that are now getting hot. You know, Roberts very consistent uh, at the plate. Uh, Heath Hood, since they put him back in the lineup, making some things happen. Uh, Julian Brock is barreling up everything right now. So. You know, I I think the reason that you're seeing more consistent play is because you're seeing some guys step up in the roles that they've been asked to play. Now, a lot of times that's a work in progress through the season. And especially with the early schedule that they played, you know, you stay a work in progress for a while. Um, But I think they're starting to come out of that now. 14 out of 19 is good. Uh, And if they can continue a pace like that, then we're going to have an interview at the end of the season, maybe talking about postseason play. So, you know, they're 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 starting to do what they need to do. They've got more guys doing it at the same time. And the, this team's got really good chemistry, and you can tell just by watching them.
1: Who's been the biggest kind of breakout star for you now that we're to this point in the season that you didn't really expect to see, Jay? Uh,
9: gee, I don't know if there is one. Um, you know, I... I expected Marshak to be good, and he's been good. Um, you know, I if Hood now starts to play over he has the last four or five games, he, I think he could be an X factor because he could be a, a guy in the bottom half of the lineup that can really do some damage. Um, I don't know if anybody's really surprising me. Uh, I knew Rincones was good defensively. I knew that he was probably going to struggle a little bit with the bat. Uh, but he's really good defensively. I think the thing that pleases me the most is to see how this team has settled itself on defense. Early in the season, they made a lot of mistakes. They... But this team is second in league in defense now in conference games. They're first in ERA, and they're in, you know, in the top six or so in batting. So they're starting to do it in all three phases of the game. But what really pleases me is the way they're playing defense.
1: We're talking with Jay Walker, longtime voice of the Raging Cajuns. He joins us here. Jay only got, what, four series left at App State, then at home versus UTA, and then you have uh, Little Rock, and I will say – I'm trying to remember what the, uh, the third of the fourth is. Oh, Texas State. At yeah, Texas State. Right, yeah. then that'll be – That'll be good. So no midweek games here for the next few weeks. They can just focus in on you know, on conference competition. Um, you've been doing this a long time, brother. Is that a good thing or a bad thing not to have those midweek games to have to deal with at this point in the season?
9: Um, you know, I, I think that you, there comes a time in the season where, you know, the, the wear and tear starts to get to you a little bit. Um, because remember, in addition – to you know, play in three or four or five games in a week and working out. You know, they also have school to worry about, and final exams are next week. And so, I think from the standpoint of the entire student athlete experience, I think maybe not having any midweek games the next couple of weeks is a good thing. The other thing is, um, I I think that you get a chance to step back and take a breath. And I think that's the reason why you're seeing more and more schools front load their schedule with five-game weeks early. So they don't have to do that down the stretch. Now, they still have a five-game week coming up, and that's the week of the Texas State series when they have two at Rice. But for the most part, you know, those things are gone now. And I think it gives them a chance to step back, take a deep breath, and concentrate on their academics. Uh, and, and, and he'll bodies a little bit because, you know, look, a guy like Julian Brock, for instance, this is a guy who could use a couple of days off, and he's not getting them uh, as far as d- during game weeks. But, you know, a guy like Julian could use a couple of days off and not have to worry so much about, about fatigue setting him. So I think this is good at this time of the year.
1: Jay, three of their four series left are against some of the teams that are towards the bottom of the standings, App State, Little Rock, and UTA. They still have Texas State who leads the conference. Um, And we talked about this earlier in the season that, you know, if they could just get through the early part of the conference slate, because that was the most difficult, they would have a legitimate chance. Here they are playing their best baseball, and they played it against good competition like Georgia State. Uh, What do you think needs to happen for that to continue on, especially this weekend when they have to go to Boone, North Carolina?
9: Well, you know, I I think you still go ahead and you concentrate on the things that you can control, okay? That means, first and foremost, you continue to cut down on giving the other team help. Now, we saw Tuesday night against LSU, we saw them um, walk five, hit two, and make a critical error. Now, if you go out and do that, I don't care who you're playing. If you go out and do that, you got a chance to get beat. So I think the most important thing is to continue to focus on doing things that don't help the other team. Throw strikes, play good defense. And if you continue to do that against the teams that are coming up, I think you have a very good chance to be successful. Um, But the way you lose is let's go back to that ULM game when they got five in the ninth inning. How did the inning start? A walk and a hit batsman. And so don't do that. Continue to to throw strikes. Let your defense play behind you. Continue to play good defense. If you do those things, then you're going to do well over these last 15 games. Now, I'm not going to predict a record or anything like that, but you're going to do well in these last 15 games. The only thing you can control now as far as RPI, people, RPI, 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 I don't even look at it anymore. And the reason that I don't is you got no control over it. The only thing that you can do that you can control is go out and win games. And that's what they need to concentrate on, to just go win. And you do that by not giving the other team stuff. And if you do that, you'll be
3: fine.
1: Jay, one more before we let you go, brother. You mentioned something earlier, and it just kind of it seems to be really spot on. It's taken a couple years. His first season at the helm, lots of emotion. They unveiled robe statue. The season gets cut short because of COVID. Then the next year, it's still kind of impacted. Everything's kind of weird. It does feel like we're getting to the point now that this is becoming Matt Deggs' team and its identity is a reflection of him. Is that safe to say?
9: Well, I think it's fair to say that, yeah. Yeah. you know, nobody's going to want to flush the first two years, especially people who like to complain. Um, but we have seen this year this team start to take its personality from its coaching staff. And so, yeah, I, I do think so. I, you know, Matt last year, you know, that was a team that had issues in the locker room. And so his, his thing at the end of the year was to was to clean that up. And he has, you heard me say a couple of minutes ago, I think this team has very good chemistry. I agree. And and so that is, I think, a credit to Coach Deggs and the coaching staff to bring guys in who understand what it's going to take to play and Cajun baseball for Matt Deggs. And the last three words are maybe the most important for Matt Deggs. We all have to understand we were all, so many people in your audience, so many people who go to games at Russo Park, so many people who watch streams and listen to broadcasts, all they know about coaching college baseball is Tony Robichell. It's true. And I got news for you. This guy's not Tony Robichell. You can't expect him to be. He doesn't coach the same. I can't tell you how many times I've heard or read, Robe wouldn't have done it that way. Well, you know what? I miss him more than anybody, but Robe's not here anymore. And we all have to understand that this is Matt Diggs' program now and or the university's program that he's been called to manage. And so he's going to do things differently. And you know what? That's okay.
1: Jay, appreciate you, Tom, as always, brother. Get you some rest. Take in a nap today, bud. Recharge those batteries, and we'll talk to you next week, brother.
9: I'll look forward to it. Thanks so much.
1: We got to take a timeout more rp3 and company though coming up we'll update the poll question of the day phone lines will be open game hotline 337-706-0111 that's 337-706-0111 you're listening to the game 1037 lafayette 1041 lake charles southwest louisiana sports station
0: here on rp3 and company we talk about the sports you know and love baseball football basketball and soccer isn't this
3: great man i love soccer here we go galaxy here we go
0: okay maybe not soccer but we'll try to do our best back to more knowledgeable sports talk with rp3 and company on the game game. 1037 lafayette and 1041 lake charles southwest louisiana's sports station
1: Oh, the game, 103.7 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with a $50 gift certificate to Richard's Seafood Patio in Abbeville. That's right, Richard's Seafood Patio, some of the best boiled crawfish, but you know what? They're also serving up boiled shrimp, crabs. They got fried and grilled seafood, tasty burgers, steaks, pull boys, and even a seafood buffet. That's right, Richard's Seafood Patio in Abbeville. And if you go sign up today, this morning, In the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com, you're going to have a chance to score a $50 gift certificate to Richard's Seafood Patio, but we can only hook you up with that if you become a member of our clubhouse. Once again, go visit 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com so you can score a $50 gift certificate to Richard's Seafood Patio. That may come in handy. Let's say... You went to Houston over the weekend. Let's say you had to spend extra money on a hotel room because someone ran into a power line and took power out for your hotel. Or you got in trouble and were, you know, received a citation for climbing over moving trains. You may need some help with date night. So why not go ahead and sign up for the clubhouse and get that $50 gift certificate to Richard Seafood Patio? It seems like a sound decision.
2: I did not receive a citation. <laughs> and we the the room was a hundred and forty dollars for two nights. Because we walked into the room and when they checked out the room, like the custodian checked out the room and saw that the blanket was pushed to the front, we only got a hundred and twenty back. Not all hundred and forty. <laughs> so <laughs>
1: even though power was out at the hotel and you had nothing but because y'all sat down on the bed and moved the comforters ever so slightly they only refunded you they did not they did not refund you the entire 100 percent of your cost
2: so if we would have like made the bed up to like it was not used at all we just walked in and walked right back out you probably would have oh, gotten the whole
3: 140 nice. back.
2: But don't worry. It wasn't that it was like the whole spot where you were. Because, of course, there's a Walmart right across from us. Walmart was spot with power. It was literally just like our hotel and one like a little bit on the road to the left. But the lovely bar or whatever it was that was next to us, that whole club was like pumping and lights were on and everything. I was like, oh, so it's just us. Why, why, no, don't do that.
1: Little jersey store fist pumping in the air. Yeah. Is that what was going on? I don't over know. there in, in the club.
2: It was beautiful. Love the lights. The, the door opened. That's <laughs> all the lights. And they were like purple and blue and whatever other colors they had. You
1: had a great time.
2: I did have a great you time. You had a
1: great time. Even though you had to change hotel rooms because some crazy person ran into a pole and knocked the power out. And they even ran. Though, yeah, of course they did. It was a hidden <laughs> run. Of course they did. And then you didn't get your full refund back and You got stuck behind a train leaving the game, and you decided to climb over said train there in downtown Houston. You still, and even though Kenneth got lost at the Ikea store (laughs) that you visited in Houston, you guys still had a tremendous time. Yes. Congratulations on your first Major League Baseball game. It's in the books.
2: It is in the books. Now it's time for our other one with my team playing. It was like, oh, the Astros lost, and I was like, yeah, but see, I don't really care about it much that they lost because <laughs> my team's going to win. They did one that night 13 to 7. Will so. you,
1: when your shirt comes in, your custom jersey shirt with your yes. nickname on it f- uh-huh. for your Seattle Mariners fandom, will you wear that when the Mariners play at the Astros and when we all go for the game?
2: Oh, heck yeah. For sure. Love it. And, and I hope that. He wears an astro for some sort of And if someone gets
1: sideways with you, I will simply step in, not to defend your honor or anything like that. I will be like, "Guys, guys. This l- lady right here, she will literally go jump over a train. She don't care. You don't want to mess with her. I'm telling you, you don't want to mess with her. You don't don't want that. If she's willing to do that, what you think she's going to do to you, man? Come on now. Just no.
2: Yeah, every time you come at me sideways, no matter what. Though I am a Mariners fan, I know that you and Miguez and Mesh will all be like, "Yeah, come at me." Yeah, come through us, get to her.
1: Oh man. Yeah. I have no worries. I have no worries about you. Thank you. No one's going to give you the business. But great weekend! What a memorable weekend filled with. Uh, fun. Yes. Th- those are the best kinds, right? So you're never going to forget this weekend. Now. No, your first major league baseball game—you're never going to forget because of all the shenanigans involved with it. It'll oh, be yeah. a great story for years to come. So, oh
2: yeah, I mean, Kenneth will probably not want to see another U-turn in like another <laughs> year with how many U-turns we had to do, um, and the fact that we now know that maps are not hundred percent correct because we were literally driving. And of course, I have to have listened to him on the side of me saying, "All right, I' ready on your right," and uh, 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 now there's trees. And there'd be trees, and then they would end. And I'm like, babe, there's still trees going. <laughs> Where'd the trees go on the maps? Because the you, trees are still going."
1: Were you guys trying to recreate the <laughs> Office episode where Michael and Dwight just drive the car into the pond because that's what the GPS tells them to? How do you guys? How did you guys even survive Houston? <laughs> I, get
2: lost. Get lost in IKEA.
1: Climbing that, over trains.
2: We and, we think that us as Louisiana drivers are bad. Those people are crazy in Houston. They are flying. They have no recollection or care in the world for any kind of police officer. I think we only saw like five in total of our entire three days being there. But like they were flying. I was like, luckily, we are driving a little bit slower because uh, I'm a little scared because they were like, just zoom past me. And I'm like, OK, well, can I go back home yet? Because this is welcome, terrifying.
1: Welcome to Houston. Welcome to Houston. I
2: was like. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, shout out to five names for having a great weekend. Pels salvaged their weekend by winning game four last night. They've evened up the series two games apiece. Game five will be Tuesday night in Phoenix. Game six back in the Smoothie King Center. That's right. The big old blender on Thursday night. That leads us to our poll question of the day. How will the Suns Pels playoff series now turn out? It's tied up to a piece. Whichever team wins two of the next three games wins this series. It's that simple. 47% of you say Pels are going to win in seven games. 20% of you say Pels are going to win in six games. 18% say Suns are going to win in seven. And 15% of you say Suns will win in six. Brad on Twitter says, Game five is a must win for the Pels to have a chance. Then they only need to split in Phoenix at minimum to advance. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, for th- that's how I feel about the the for the pills. If they can win Game Five on Tuesday, they win the series. Because because then you're going to get a game back at home. It's going to be electric, and then you'll have and then once again, Chris Paul is going to have to carry this team. And Chris Paul is an old man. He's nearly my age, so those legs aren't fresh.
2: And the man doesn't only do basketball either. He bowls too. So that those arms are tired. There it is. You're welcome. I gotta throw in that he he he's a bowler. Has his own lanes. Has his own competition he throws on every year.
1: I have a <laughs> uh yeah, you and bowling, <laughs> of course. JPK the OD has sent me a message.
3: Uh
2: oh.
1: Direct message, if you will, on the Twitter. And he says, 10% of the season down, and Hannah's like this. And it's a little girl in a raincoat eating cotton candy going crazy happy. And he said, that's Hannah at her first Mariners game. That will be you. You'll be so beyond ridiculous. It'll be it'll be funny. It'll be funny. Glad you enjoyed your first game. Thank you. And glad you guys survived your trip to Houston.
2: I'm very surprised we did.
1: I'm, sur- I'm a little surprised, too. I'm a little surprised, too.
2: We had to settle down with some Disney, so we, like, he, I put on uh, Moana and Aladdin in the car, so he can really watch it. I was more listening to it because I, uh, of course, I know everything's going on. I can tell like what the scene looks like and everything. But it let him calm down because then he would okay. hold the maps and start him about trees again and I It's not ready for Yeah, no,
1: no, no, no running into fields with your your car. <laughs> Let's not do that, shall we? Uh, it's just a word of advice from yours truly. We gotta take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company. It's NFL Draft Week. Oh, yeah. First round Thursday night, rounds two and three on Friday, and then rounds four through seven on Saturday. Saints, what are they going to do? They got two first-round picks and a pick in the second round. What are they going to do? How are they going to approach the draft process now that Sean Payton's not there? Ross Jackson from the Locked on Saints podcast is going to join us next to break it all down for us. You're listening to the game 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station.
0: Time to open up the vault for the games this day in sports history. April 25th, 1993. New Orleans Saints linebacker Pat Swilling is traded by the Saints to the Detroit Lions for their first and fourth round picks in the draft. The Saints select William Rofe. With the eighth overall pick. That was this day in sports history. We now return to the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
1: Well, the NFL draft is just a few days away, Thursday night, first round action. And then, of course, Friday will be second round and third round. And then, obviously, the draft will be completed on Saturday. Lots of misinformation being uh, thrown out there in the last couple weeks to help clear the air, to help bring in a more focused, reasonable approach to what the Saints are going to be doing on Thursday night with their two first round picks. It's going to be Ross Jackson. It's time for us to experience the Big Easy
0: Blitz. Houdan is ready for Saints Talk. <laughs> they give the Camara, breaks through, spins at the two, into the end zone, touchdown! Time to talk Saints with the Big Easy Blitz, here on RP3 and Company.
1: Ross, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend?
10: 3 rather good to be back on here with you. You know, look, you said you were going to have me on for a reasonable approach, and I tried everything that I could to jump on here and be like, trade all the picks, but then I couldn't even make myself do it jokingly. So I guess I'm ready for this reasonable approach (laughs) that you're
1: talking about. All right, let's start off. (laughs) Um, I I keep saying I I don't see a scenario where the Saints – Draft one of these quarterbacks. I just, I, I don't think. I mean, I think in any normal year, these guys would be second-round picks. Mm-hmm. I don't see these guys as the type of quarterbacks that the Saints would go. Hey, let's trade the farm for. Saints are not going to go quarterback here, correct? Yeah,
10: I don't think so. I mean, look, there's a chance that it happens if, let's say, Malik Willis falls to 19 or something like. Like the value just kind of has to be perfect but this is a team that just traded up from 18 and then also traded a first-round pick from next year in order to get a second first-round pick for this year. So what that tells me is that this is a team that's looking to draft in order to compete this year. They weren't super active on the offensive side and free agency, so having three top-50 selections Tells so me They're looking to draft players that are going to be out on the field in 2022 and help that first round pick that they traded in 2023 to the Philadelphia Eagles, help push that toward the back end of that first round, or back end of the draft. And so I think that that makes a lot more sense to me. There's an opportunity there in the second round at 49, for instance, that may be a Matt Corral or... A Sam Howell falls there, and maybe they want to take an opportunity on a young quarterback like that, maybe put themselves in position while they're trying to recalibrate their cap situation and their cap approach to have maybe a quarterback on a rookie contract that they might be able to turn to. But at 16 and 19, I don't see them making the trade up to go after a quarterback. It just wouldn't make sense to me.
1: Ross, I've said this for weeks. Don't be surprised if you see the Saints use their first-round selections on an offensive and a defensive lineman. And I, 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 I hear the groans through the telephone when I say that, but <laughs> when you look at what Mickey Loomis, Jeff Ireland, and company do, they like drafting three positions more than any other in the first two rounds, and that's offensive line, defensive line, and DB. I'm not crazy for thinking that, am I?
10: No, 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 not at all. Not at all. Since 2015, the Saints have had 43 draft picks. 14 of those draft picks have been on the offensive and defensive line collectively, whether they be tackle or edge or, uh, excuse me, tackle, guard, center, or if it's a tackle or edge. And so, you know, they've always focused in the trenches and they've always believed that that's where they win games. You look at the New Orleans Saints since the 2015 season, you had Andres Pete get drafted in the first round, you had Ryan Ramsey get drafted in the first round, you had Cesar Ruiz drafted in the first round, and Eric McCoy was effectively a first-round talent grab at the beginning of their draft a couple of years ago in 2019 with an early second-round pick, you know, when he inexplicably fell out of the first round, which worked very, very well for New Orleans, then you look over on the defensive side and you have Sheldon Rankins. You go into guys like uh, uh, Marcus Davenport, Peyton Turner last year. I mean, the trenches are where they've always focused. And so I would not be surprised at all to see the Saints do exactly that. And I think that there's going to be opportunity for them to do that. I mean, the offensive line makes a lot of sense, right? You have an open spot at left tackle right now. They could band-aid it for a year with a guy like James Hurst, who they really like a lot, by the way, and who performed well at left tackle last year. But with Teron Armstead gone, you're looking now for a left tackle of the future. So if you can solve that problem at 16, you're happy to solve that problem at 16 or maybe even move up just a little bit more in order to be able to do that. But it's going to be tough to justify another you know, first-round pick being traded in order to get up so that you can
1: go and grab a tackle. So they could take offensive linemen, offensive tackle with that first pick. What about the second pick in the first round?
5: I think that that's a good
10: spot for wide receiver. I think if all four of the top tackles are off the board by 16, which would be Ike McQuonu, as well as Evan Neal, of course, there's a lot of, you know, you mentioned uh, what we're basically calling lying season right now, where a lot of people are talking about Ike potentially going number one overall to the Jags. So there's a chance here that these top tackles go off the board a little bit faster. Mississippi State's Charles Cross and then Trevor Penning out of Northern Iowa are the other two. If those four tackles are off the board already, I don't think that there's a tackle worth grabbing at 16. And I said you can wait, circle back to that position in the second or third round with talent like Abraham Lucas out of Washington State or Rashid Walker out of Penn State in the third round. And so I think that at that point you start to look at maybe the other side of the trenches, defensive line guys like Jordan Davis, or Devontae Wyatt. But then, you know, at 19 – I still think that you're going to have really good wide receiver talent on the board at that point. I mean, anybody from the two guys out of Ohio State who Chris Olave is the best fit, in my opinion, at that position. But you can go kind of down the list, five or six wide receivers that I think are all first round worthy. And that, you know, if you have a pick at, at 19, and unless you want to do something that you haven't done, if you're the Saints since 2007, and trade back then I think that you can just grab one of these wide receivers at 19. But we'll have to see exactly how the board shakes out. But those are the positions that make sense to me at each selection.
1: What about taking safety with that other first-round pick?
10: Uh, yeah, you could do that, too. Especially, I mean, you know, I, I, the the pre-draft process for Kyle Hamilton has been so volatile, unfortunately, around his 40 time. I, I think he'll still be off the board by the time that the things get around at 16 even. So you're looking at other players like Daxton Hill out of Michigan or Jaquan Brisker out of uh, Penn State, Lewis Singh out of Georgia. Those are probably the, the guys that you're looking for if you're looking at safety there. Uh, the Saints have invested highly at safety. Um, they've traded up quite a few times, of course, since the – I think it's 13 times since the 2015 season. The position that they have – drafted the most with picks that they traded up to get together is safety they've done it three times and so i could see them doing it with one of these selections i consider both 16 and 19 to be trade-ups right you move from 18 to 16 that's a trade-up you move from next year to this year to 19 that's a trade-up so either one of those uh could potentially end up landing at safety as well depending upon how that board falls
1: Give me a player or players you think the Saints are really high on that would maybe force them to say, hey, this guy's falling a little bit here. Let's trade up and go grab him because he could be a missing piece for us.
9: Yeah, I think you go
10: back to the trenches and you go back to the tackles there. Any of those three tackles, Evan Neal, Ike or Charles Cross would be great fits for New Orleans. I think Charles Cross in particular would be a very good fit for New Orleans. You know, the the, – the trade, the Pat Swilling trade to the Lions happened today, right? And then the, yeah. and then they selected Willie Rofe, um in the draft. And Willie Roof is somebody that has a similar build and similar measurables to Charles Cross. And so the Saints, you know, like that might have been a long time in history ago, but long, not long forgotten considering how successful Willie Roof was in this offense. And then you look at a guy like Charles Cross, who has similar measurables and has played, 80-plus percent of his snaps and pass sets because he's been playing for that Mike Leach air, air raid uh, offense. He was recruited effectively into what was more like a triple option offense over there before Mike Leach took over. So you know that he has a little bit of both of those things, and he transitioned from that sort of strange offense that existed first to the new strange offense that exists now over at Mississippi State. and put And he had to make that transition going from, I was it, 40-something percent passing to 80-something percent passing over the course of the COVID offseason. So you know that the mental side of the game is there for him, too. So I think that the fact that he was recruited highly as a run blocker who could also pass block, had to shift and change gears into an almost full-time pass blocker who is still big enough, mean enough, has that mean streak that you like an offensive lineman to also be able to produce in the run game. And you know he has the mental capacity, plus he's in the trenches and at a position of need. I think all those things kind of point to the potential for, hey, he's there at 12. The Saints have an old you know, trade buddy there with the Minnesota Vikings that could be a easy, pretty easy jump up for him if they wanted to go that route.
1: We're talking with Ross Jackson of the Locked On Saints podcast. He joins us here on RP3 and Company as we're talking all things Saints in the NFL draft. All right, bud, that second-round pick, do you think they're going to have it come Friday, or do you think it's going to be used or moved around?
10: I think that it will be moved around. Uh, I have a hard time imagining that the Saints will sit there from 19 to 49, 30 selections, and not make some kind of a move up to ensure that they grab themselves another starter or another top 20 to 25 players, as Mickey Loomis talked about. Mickey Loomis you know, said that he was pretty confident that at 16, 19, and 49 that they could get three of their top 20 or 25 players on their board. But I think that if you want to ensure that, you move up into the second round. And so there would be a couple of different reasons to move up in the second round. Maybe you didn't address safety in the second round, and so you want to get up for Jaquan Brisker early on. in the, If you didn't address safety in the first round, you want to address it in the second round. That's an easy trade-up. Uh, Or you know an easy reason to trade up. Maybe wide receiver doesn't necessarily fall your way in the first round, but you want to go up and get a guy like Jahan Dotson or George Pickens or you know one of these other wide receivers that falls out of the first round, or simply some player that you know we all don't expect to fall out of the first round does, which happens every single season. Maybe the Saints can be the benefactor of that. They've been the benefactor of it before. You think about a guy like C.J. Gardner-Johnson who dropped all the way to the fourth round out of the first. They're a team that's been able to take advantage of that before Eric McCoy as well. So I could see those situations working out for the Saints as well.
1: Do they sign Tyron Matthew and or Jarvis Landry once the draft is done? Yes or no?
10: <laughs> That's all I get? Yes or no? <laughs> <laughs> no? No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Ross. My apologies. Please elaborate if, if you believe
1: there's a possibility.
10: There, there certainly is. I think Tyron Matthew in particular, whose you know, contract exp- fired in kansas city and therefore you know if he signs somewhere he becomes a part of the compensatory formula and could cost the team their compensatory selection jarvis landry is not he could sign pretty much whenever it won't impact a team from that you know standpoint but we saw the things do this last year too right they they had a contract ready or you know they or not last year the year before last and then they you know signed um Jameis Winston after the draft, and it didn't impact their compensatory selections and things like that. So we could see them, you know, lucking out and having that same type of situation here in 2022. And so I think that, you know, I mean, look, getting Kyron Matthew after the draft would be incredible for New Orleans, even getting Jarvis Landry. And the thing about getting Jarvis Landry is that it opens up the opportunity for you to draft a little bit more risky in the first round. Let's say Jarvis, excuse me, Jamison Williams is there at 19. If you know you're going to be bringing in Jarvis Landry, then you're a little bit more comfortable drafting Jamison Williams and giving him time to come back from his late knee injury, without having to rush him out onto the field because you don't mind going out on the field with Michael Thomas and Jarvis Landry. That's that's not a bad setup to have, and then you can add Jamison Williams when he gets comfortable. So I think that I can't say whether or not they are going to uh, sign those guys, but I certainly would say that they they should be pulling out all the stops to make it happen.
1: Ross, I'll get you out of here with this. Kamara's hearing is scheduled for today. How much will what happen at that hearing or the possible legal issues that he's facing and possible suspension from the NFL, how much is that going to affect the Saints' approach in this draft?
10: I think it's going to have an impact, but I also think that New Orleans could look at running back as a position that they want to address in the draft regardless of what happens in that hearing just because if you look at the depth that didn't work out last year they made the late trade for Mark Ingram but you're still looking for somebody to pair with Alvin Kamara beyond this season you know moving forward so i look at all of those and and the fact that the depth just didn't work out like Tony Jones Jr just did not turn out to be the player that they thought he was when they or thought he was going to be last year can he turn out to be that player this year and can you trust that i don't know and this is a team that brings in veteran running backs every single offseason, right? Mike Gillisley, all these guys that they bring in for training camp. So I think they're going to look at that position no matter what. I do think that, you know, if they learn that, you know, I, I think you have to expect Alvin Kamara to be suspended pretty much regardless of what happens in the court of the law, right? There's a court of law and there's a court of the NFL who could still choose to suspend him even if he's not brought up on charges or, or, or whatever, right? So I think that in any case, you kind of still prepare for that if there's value at the right time in the draft.
1: Ross, appreciate your time as always. Brother, tell the people where they can follow you this week for all the great draft coverage.
10: Yeah, absolutely. So I'll be uh, up in uh, or over in Dallas covering uh, live from our Dallas studios there for the Lockdown Podcast Network So to keep up with everything going on with all that, you can follow me on Twitter, at Ross Jackson NOLA, N O L A. And of course, you can catch the Locked on Saints podcast wherever you get your podcast and on YouTube as well. Hey, buddy, always a pleasure. Glad to be back
1: on with you. Good to talk to you. Good to talk to you too, bud. This is Ross Jackson of the Locked on Saints podcast joining us here for the Big Easy Blitz. We got to take a timeout. We'll wrap up today's show, get you set up for Kevin Foot and Footnotes next, right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Oh, I want to take a moment to thank our guests to help us kick off this week here on RP3 and Company. Jeff Palermo from Tiger Rag Radio, and of course, news and sports director for the Louisiana Radio Network. Jay Walker, long-time voice of the Raging Cajuns. And of course, Ross Jackson, who we just spoke to from the Locked On Saints podcast. I want to thank them for all of their time today. Also, shout out to all the people that called. What a good start to the week with the phone calls. People wanting to get that game-changer of the week title, I see. It's good to hear. Poll question of the day. How will the Suns-Pels playoff series turn out? It's tied two games apiece. Game five, Tuesday night in Phoenix. Game six in New Orleans at the Smoothie King Center. Winning the vote. 47% of the vote goes to Pels winning in seven. 20% say Pels win in six. 18% say Suns win in seven. And 15% say Suns win in six. Thanks to all who voted on the poll question of the day. And thanks to all who left their comments on both Facebook and Twitter as well. we got a great show lined up for you tomorrow. Ollie Cassell will join us, help us preview Pelican Suns. Jarrett Rozier, the latest in recruiting and high school sports. And Thad Dickey, our good friend, the longtime Beauchamp High softball coach. His team is headed to the state tournament, going to sulfur. Two wins away from a state championship. Oh, man, it's a busy week state softball tournament nfl draft nba playoffs major league baseball college baseball softball Woo! we'll get you there for the producer extraordinaire and of five names i'm raymond parts the third better known as rp3 we'll do it all again tomorrow 6 to nine. but until then be safe out there be kind to one another kevin foot and footnotes is up next here on the game 1037 lafayette one zero four one lake charles southwest louisiana sports station